Good afternoon and welcome to episode five of series five of the Family Law Podcast by Pump Court Chambers. Today we're talking about the interrelation between occupation orders under the Family Law Act 1996 and possession applications. And what, what such a topic really calls for is someone who has a practice covering both areas and the necessary intellectual guile. Luckily, I have just the man, Oliver Foy. Oliver is a highly regarded junior member of Chambers, known for his skill uh, as an advocate and his client handling. Welcome, Oliver. Thanks, Mark, and thank you for the introduction. Pleasure to have you making your, your podcast debut today. Um, I, want to, I want to get straight in because I'm sure listeners will be relatively familiar with the family law angle side of things. Um, we are talking about a situation where someone isn't a property owner, doesn't have an established beneficial interest. And what I mean by that is that they may claim they have one, but they haven't had a declaration saying they do. Um, first things first, in terms of occupation orders, if you don't have a right to occupy a property through a legal or beneficial interest, what can you do under the Family Law Act? Well, where you need to go, uh, first of all, is, is sections 33 to 40 of the Family Law Act, which, which regulate occupation orders. Now, you say if the person doesn't have a right to remain in occupation, that would mean that the relevant section is section 36 or indeed section 38. Section 36 applies where the applicant does not have a right to remain in occupation. And section 38 applies where neither the applicant nor the respondent have a right to uh, occupy the property. So what you're essentially doing is making an application under the relevant section. And the ubiquitous tests running through these sections are the core criteria test and the balance of harm test. The court is obliged to consider all the circumstances, including a, num a number of specific factors. Those factors are, are the housing needs and resources of the parties and of any relevant child, the financial resources of the parties, the effect of any order on the health, safety and well-being of the parties and of any relevant child, and the conduct of the parties. If the court is not entitled, if, if the applicant, forgive me, is not entitled to occupy, the court must consider the nature and length of the relationship, the length of time since the relationship has come to an end, as well as any relevant children or, or Schedule 1 applications. In all cases, the court must ask whether a child will suffer significant harm if an order is not made, and the balance of harm between the applicant and the respondent. The court will weigh up all of these factors and you will get the occupation order if you can persuade the court to exercise its discretion in light of these factors. I think it's, it's right, isn't it, that you said section 33, 36 and 38, but 35 and 37 are also at the same, but, but you just have to be married or civil partners. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's exactly right. Because um, I think what's interesting about 35 and 36 is the duration clause, isn't it? That it's not that open-ended provision that we see in section 33. It's, it's that provision that it can only last for, well, in 35 and 36, it's 
only six months and then one more extension of six months and then in in 37 and 38 it's more, uh, unlimited extensions but each extension must only be six months um seems to be missed quite a lot because i suppose if you're in a section 36 situation let's say you're claiming a beneficial interest well at most you're going to get a year in a house under the family law act you need to get your skates on really don't you to try and establish that beneficial interest absolutely so the time limit is is prescribed by statute you can get a sixth month occupation order under section 36 which can only be extended for another six months so you're, you're absolutely right if, if you don't have a right to occupy uh, then you might you might you might find yourself in a bit of a sticky situation there well the um, sticky situation is what i really want to co- come on to but but just sort of dealing with this um I mean, is there any reason, and it's not in the statute, but is there any reason to think after 12 months has gone, you make a fresh application under Section 36 again? Well, that's an interesting point. I, I don't see why not. Um, you'd, you'd face abusive process arguments, as I see it. Um, but if it's a separate application made on separate grounds and you've got an understanding judge, then why not? yeah the last one is the most important I mean it would have to be sort of a fresh set of facts wouldn't it you Mm. can make the same case because then it really is just abuse of process yes um and in terms of occupation orders just sort of verging more into the sort of housing side of things that in and of itself doesn't create a right to occupy does it it's just the duration of the order well you you have a right to occupy if 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 the terms of the order Uh, give you a right to occupy but you can't well I'm sorry I'm trying to say trying to ask is you don't gain a sort of any separate entitlement to occupy because an order's made it's just whatever the order says and that's it yes precisely you you don't have an interest in the property there's there's not some some kind of imputed contract between the parties it's just the the terms of the order which regulate your occupation yeah um I'll come on to what happens if for example a section 36 order expires but but taking occupation orders out the equation for a moment if um you know two people are living together it's the property is owned by one other person doesn't have an interest and the relationship comes to an end what is the non-owner's position in terms of their, their, their legal occupation or their occupation of the property well, if they've got no interest in the property at all, so no, no legal interest, they're not on the registered title, um, they don't have an equitable interest, let's say they're, they're, they don't have a, they're not the beneficiary of a trust that hasn't been declared, let's say they don't have an equity that's arisen by way of proprietary estoppel, then your right to occupy the property will depend on whether you have permission to reside there. And you will either be a licensee or a trespasser uh, the essential nature of a license is that the licensor gives permission to the licensee to use the land in some way. And that permission makes it lawful for the licensee to do that, which would otherwise be trespass. We come across licenses all the time, such as when you purchase a ticket to go to the cinema or book a room at a hotel. And the license, the license may, of course, take the form of a license to occupy residential premises 
how how do you how does one define a license i mean if it's just two cohabitants that are living together what are the what are the sort of terms of any license yeah that's a good question well licenses can be implied so there are there are two types of licenses the first is a gratuitous license which is sometimes called a bare license and the second is a contractual license so if we just take those briefly in turn uh, a gratuitous license of course is one given without consideration it can be revoked at any time and it's it's essentially permission given by the uh, person who's entitled to occupation of the property for the other person the the cohabitant in in our for our purposes to reside there it's not supported by consideration which leads me to the second type of license a contractual license and a contractual license is just that it's a contract Uh, there might be a cohabitation agreement there might be an implied contract there is a case called Tanner and Tanner, which was decided all the way back in 1975, where a married man had an affair with another woman who adopted his name. She gave birth to twins and he bought a house for her to live in with their children. The Court of Appeal found an implied contract for a license permitting her to live in the house until the children came of age. So effectively, to answer your question, there will either be a gratuitous license or a contractual license. The key point is whether there is permission to occupy the property. I mean, if there's gratuitous license again, I mean, let's I assume that that your average couple living together, of course, we're talking about unmarried people as well, we should say Um, the average unmarried couple that are living together the non-legal slash beneficial owner of the property is going to be living there, I assume, under a gratuitous licence. That's the norm. That, that would be the norm. But, but, but bear in mind, Tanner, which I've just mentioned, that yeah. the conduct might be such that there is, in fact, an implied contract, and that contract will contain a term about revocability, mm. about whether the licensee can become a trespasser. And, I mean, if so, you said if there's a gratuitous licence you just basically revoke their ability to I mean, you 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 tell them to get out and that that would be sufficient to earn the license well you have to give reasonable notice right again another sticky question what what's reasonable notice um it's heavily fact dependent there is a case where where lord ditlock made some useful comments greater london council and jenkins he said, what, what is a reasonable time depends upon all the circumstances of the case and where the license has been to occupy premises for residential purposes. The reasonable time has reference to enabling the licensee to have an opportunity of taking his effects away from the property. I would add to that the length of time that someone has occupied the property. But you, you, you can revoke an, a, a gratuitous license at any time by giving reasonable notice. I see. So there's still it's there's 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 a, a break clause or no break clause, I should say. It's it's more just whenever you want, but you still have to give that notice. And I mean, if someone's been, let's say, you've been living together for a couple of years, are we talking a month, two months? I suppose it's fact specific. It's completely fact specific, I'm afraid. That does does the um, 
the, the party without an interest or, or does the licensee i should say does the licensee have, have all their belongings there how many belongings are there do they have somewhere else to go um how how ingratiated is the relationship it, it, it's all fact specific i'm afraid sure no, no it makes sense um well look, let's let's have this scenario we've got um an unmarried couple orders made under section 36 allowing someone to live there uh coming up to the end of the order the legal owner says right you know here's your notice you've got you know license absolutely ended does it say let's say two months before the end of the occupation order um so should be reasonable notice you would have thought um when the occupation order ends you've got to get out but the person doesn't leave i mean is it right to say that they are then a trespasser yes it, it would if, if it was a, if they were a licensee and reasonable notice has been given and expired the occupant will become a trespasser and so where does the legal owner then stand as a matter of law do you mean in terms of getting that person out of the property? Yeah, I mean, what can they do to get their property back? Yeah, well, well, they may be required to obtain a court order. And I say required because under the Protection from Eviction Act 1977, it is unlawful to evict an occupier without a court order. Where they occupied a dwelling under a licence, the licence has come to an end, but they have not left. In other words, if a licensee becomes a trespasser but remains in occupation, a court order must be obtained. That rule is subject to some exceptions, which are very important in this context. Uh, there's six categories of what's called excluded licenses. And in a, the domestic cohabitation context um, we're dealing with, the, the following three I would suggest are relevant. The first, is where the occupier shares accommodation with the licensor and the licensor was in occupation immediately before and has remained in occupation after the grant of the license, occupying, occupying it as their only or principal home. The second is where the occupier shares accommodation with a family member of the licensor and again the licensor was in occupation before uh, and after the grant of, of the licence, occupying the accommodation as their only or principal home. And thirdly, the, the licence is not for money or money's worth, which is where no consideration is given for the right to occupy the, the premises. If it is an excluded licence and any of those circumstances apply, um, then there is no requirement to obtain a court order, but you should nevertheless tread carefully because there is a risk of committing criminal offences. It's a criminal offence to evict an occupier of residential premises who is entitled to remain in occupation, including under a licence, without a court order. And that would be relevant where you mistakenly thought that the licence had come to an end. And furthermore, it is a criminal offence to use or threaten violence, to gain entry to a property, if you are aware that there is someone at the property who opposes the re-entry, and this applies even in the case of trespassers. So Therefore, a trespasser can say, well, I'm, I'm in the property. I, I don't agree to you re-entering, and so you can't use force to get into your property even if you own it. 
that's exactly right so you'd have to find yourself in a situation where you can peaceably take possession of the property otherwise you have to have recourse to the courts yeah i mean because these situations of course are always very peaceful definitely not fraught with um (laughs) tension and violence um no emotions involved in these yeah just coming back to the excluded license point so i mean for example if someone was living in a house under an occupation order together with the the respondent to the occupation order it was regulated occupation for example and that kind of was all tied up with a license but you bring the license to an end properly that's going to be an excluded license isn't it it, it will if one of those circumstances apply uh, yes if 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 you occupy property as your principal home and then the the licensee comes to live with you and you say occupying that property as your principal home it will be an excluded license you'll be a resident licensor or or a resident landlord in the in in the context of landlord and tenant um okay so let's say that you do want to do it properly we like to do things properly at the bar obviously um and we don't you know, go around with a baseball bat and try and get the person out. What 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 is the the legal recourse in terms of getting a court order? The the the, the procedure for possession orders is found in Part Fifty Five of the Civil Procedure Rules. There's a supplementing practice direction. It's all there and set out clearly. There's a particular claim form. For possession claims there's a prescribed form of particulars of claim for proceedings against trespassers where possible all the evidence should go into the particulars uh, the claim form and the particulars must be filed and served together where it's a claim against trespassers uh, and it's likely in a domestic context that um, there should also be a witness statement to be filed at the same time um, th- th- there's other there's other I-, I mean i won't go through every chapter and verse of the procedure um, but the, the 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 point is that it's it's a truncated procedure it's it you won't have to wait as long as your other typical possession uh, cases well tell tell us tell us I- ignorant family lawyers what a truncated p- possession procedure actually looks like i mean are we talking about directions hearing and then a trial of the issue if necessary yeah, well, you, you'll yeah, you'll ha- you'll have the first hearing will be listed when the claim is issued. There's no requirement to file and serve a defence, so the trespassers don't need to file and serve anything, which won't hold it up. And then you'll have you'll ha- you'll you'll attend that first hearing where there can be a final determination. The court can, in fact, hear 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 oral evidence. The court could decide there and then that um, a possession order has to be made. If it's if it is the case that it's, it's against the trespasser, the possession order must be made forthwith. However, if the defendant turns up, raises some issues, the court considers needs further consideration and perhaps a contested hearing, then that first hearing will become a case management conference and you will get the necessary directions. And what kind of what kind of dispute, you know, say I mean, say you are a trespasser, what's the kind of what are the defenses that you tend to encounter? Well, it, it, it Again, in the cohabitation context, I, I might turn up and say, no, there, there's an implied contractual license here, which cannot be revoked until a certain point in time, or this license is in fact irrevocable. Um, you've also got the 
the, the, the points I mentioned at the start in relation to a potential common intention constructive trust. You could seek a declaration and ask the court to exercise its discretion as to the, um, how the property is occupied. You might argue that you've got an equity in the property by way of proprietary estoppel. There are lots of different arguments. I think that that could arise again, very fact-specific. Fact but presumably, you obviously you have to prove that. I mean, you can't say I've got a beneficial interest without uh, as a defence without proving it. I mean, doesn't if you're going to a contested hearing on a possession claim and someone says I've got a beneficial interest but they haven't established a beneficial interest, then where does where does it leave you? Because of course they've got they don't have an interest until they've established one, right? Well, one, one would hope that the court would set down appropriate directions for that contested hearing. But what might happen is at the first hearing, um, which I wouldn't call it, well, I suppose it is a contested hearing, but at the first hearing, if you raise this as an issue, the court will might well be inclined to adjourn matters so that it could deal with everything at the same time. Mm. And, and effectively have Talata proceedings running alongside the possession proceedings. Yes, yeah. And that sounds like a procedural nightmare for... It does, it does. Family lawyers that, that are terrified of civil procedurals. <laughs> um, I just, I want to kind of finish at, at the end. Let's say that, that, that we get to, we get our possession order. If, you know, if you're the one that wants a possession order, we're happy. How, what do you then do with that to actually secure possession? So as I said, if it's against the trespasser, it will be a forthwith possession order, in which case you can apply straight away for a warrant of possession. And so a court enforcement officer will come along and evict the trespasser and you can then change the locks. Right. Um, you said said possession order forthwith as if there may be other options. What's what's yeah. Yeah, forgive me. So, so it, I mean, it, it, the most common possession claims we will encounter is landlord and tenant. Mm. And the usual order there is possession in 14 days. You must give possession within 14 days. And that can be extended up to six weeks if there would be exceptional hardship caused to the tenant by the normal 14-day order. In the case of trespasses, that's different because there's no right to occupy the land, the possession order is forthwith, and that discretion to extend the possession order doesn't exist. So you will walk out of there with a forthwith possession order. So, I mean, say, for example, this is a rather extreme example, but, you know, mother and child are in a property. Um, they are legally trespassers. The court doesn't have a discretion. It has to be a forthwith order. Yes. If they are deemed to be trespassers, then yes. Gosh. Merciless, the law of possession. <laughs> well, um, that, that, that's why the Family Law Act is so important, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But understanding the limits of the Family Law Act as well and, and how far you can really push it, I think, mm. is also important. And, mm. you know, too many cases are, that I've encountered is people get these, they make these applications under Section 36 and they just sit, sit there and don't do anything. And then it comes mm. to the end, they still haven't established any kind of beneficial interest or made any Schedule 1 claim or whatever, and, and they're, they're in, in a pickle. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's another one for another day. Thank you. Um, thanks, Holly. That was, re was really interesting. And um, yeah, well, I, I've learned a lot, and I hope that uh, the listeners have learned a lot as well.
thanks for your expertise and input ollie no worries thank you very much mark um listeners will be taking another short break but we will return to finish series five covering topics such as the treatment of cryptocurrency and nfts in financial remedy proceedings um but until next time thank you for listening and goodbye Thank you.